Hi, I just wanted to stop by and introduce my guest today, Sarah Page. She is a yoga instructor. We talk about a lot of other areas in her life, one of them being her path to sobriety. So I wanted to make sure that all of the listeners knew about that ahead of time so that if sobriety may be some sort of a trigger for you, that you know that before you listen any further. And also to tell you that Sarah's path to sobriety is her own, her very own. She listened to what she needed, what her body needed, and found her way in her own space, in her own way. And that doesn't necessarily mean that she's purporting that that should be how everyone else should do it, or that any other way to do it is wrong. Just that for herself, that was the correct path. So keeping those things in mind as you're listening today, she also has a lot to share about how she started in yoga, how her path started, how she got to where she is today, and how much her teaching has expanded and changed over the years from where she began. One thing we did forget to talk about was where to find Sarah. So you can find her on Instagram at Sarah, S-A-R-A dash P-A-I-G-E yoga, Y-O-G-A. You can also find her on her website at sarahpageyoga.com. Again, S-A-R-A P-A-I-G-E yoga, Y-O-G-A dot com. Thanks for joining us. Enjoy. Stories. We all have them. They're the compilation of your journey from where you started to how you ended up where you are today. Titanium Blonde is all about sharing women's stories. The good, the bad, the ugly, the beautiful, and everything in between all of that. I'm Sherry Eckert. This is Titanium Blonde Talks. And I'd like to know, what's your story? Hello, and thank you for joining me today for another episode of Titanium Blonde Talks. This morning, joining me is Sarah Page. She is someone that I met on Instagram, of course, and a fellow yoga instructor. And she has a schedule that sometimes is unbelievable when we've talked about how many classes she teaches and all of the things that she does in her life. And I understand that stamina and that drive to teach yoga and do all of the other things that you do. So I sort of felt like I had this kindred spirit a little bit that I had met. And of course, like anything in life, she has a whole other side, many dimensions to who she is and how she lives her life. So I'm going to invite her right now to tell us all a little bit more about herself. Good morning, Sarah. Thank you for joining me today. Good morning, Sherry. Thanks so much for having me. So would you tell the listeners a little bit more about how you ended up where you are today? Right on. Okay. Uh, you want me to go way back? <laughs> I can you, go way back. <laughs> you know what? You go to wherever you would like to start. All right. So I've, I'm from the Midwest originally and really small communities until I was basically, well, until I moved to Scottsdale. Let's just put it that way. I lived in cities anywhere from 800 people up to about... 65,000. So when I moved out to the Phoenix area just a couple of years ago, it was a big game changer for me. I felt like the whole world had opened up. Grew up in a small town, went to a small school where there was everywhere from kindergarten to 12th grade. So the whole school was under one roof in the middle of nowhere, out in the, like in the boondocks, out in the country. It, it was about, you know, 20, 20 minute drive to school on country roads. Yeah, I am a uh, 
I'm kind of a country bumpkin, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> I would never guess that by your fabulous pink mohawk. <laughs> right? Yeah. So I didn't do that until I was what, 46. And I don't know that I'm ever going to get rid of it. I'm just, I'm just rocking it. And I love it. And I don't even notice it anymore. I see people looking at me occasionally, like my husband especially notices that. And he's like, people are really like staring at your hair. And I was like, good, good for them. Yeah. They can admire it all day long. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. So um, how I came to be a yoga teacher, let's just kind of jump forward a little bit there. I took a class in a wellness center and it was it was just like a fitness class. I mean, they're like, oh, you want to do yoga? Sure. Well, it's right after Zumba or whatever was before that. So it was right. out in this wide open space and there was a running track around the the space where we were going to practice yoga. No props, nothing, just this is yoga. And I remember the very first class, um, the teacher who was a personal trainer, and she taught other group fitness, like she taught everything. She had at one point cued and said the word chaturanga. And I literally face planted and like on my face, almost knocked the wind out of myself. I mean, I thought I could do a push up, but this was a whole new push up as you, yeah. as you know. And so immediately, my ego was like, number one bruised. And number two, I was like, Oh, I got to figure this out. What, what is this? What is this yoga thing? And then I remember we did have Shavasana. And it was just a few minutes long out in the middle of everything people walking through the space, stepping over people while they're in Shavasana. Oh, God. And so, oh yeah, yeah, it was a it was a real treat. But the feeling that was present when we finished the class was powerful enough, obviously, to keep me hungry and keep me coming back. And I knew then that I wanted to learn more and also teach if, if possible. You know, so being from this small town, there's at that time where I was living, there's maybe 4,200 people in the town. And the nearest actual yoga studio was 65 miles away, which would take wow. a whole, whole hour to get there. Yeah. Um, I think there was a YMCA like 30 miles away and they had yoga there. But at the time, I wasn't even aware of that. I took from this woman for a while. She was good. I mean, she she knew the body. She had trained with Yoga Fit International, which that was kind of, I think that was before they were ever like 200 hours certified or whatever. They just had like modules, like weekend warrior type things where you could go and learn level one and level two. And that's where I started, believe yeah. it or not. So I signed up for that because um, it was the, the only thing that was available to available to me at the time, there was no such thing as online trainings or anything like that. And there wasn't a studio near me at, that I knew of, I, I just asked her where she got her training. And she was willing to tell me that and I started then in 2005, taking their trainings, and I did three of them. And I feel personally still to this day that that was a great framework for not only my personal practice, but also as an educator, I thought they did a really good job. Of course, I don't have anything to compare it to, but it was very non-dogmatic. It was very physical, which was fine. That's where I was at at that point. And I thought it was um, available for, for most people. And, and they taught us modifications and the language, the transformational language that they used, I've since kind of moved away from. But it, at the time, it served me really well. So I just started having little classes in, in my communities and in neighboring cities. And, and then I rented a space there in this small town in Nebraska and did pretty well for a while. I was still working full time. So at that time, I was only teaching like two to four classes a week, depending. And when my kids graduated from high school, and even a couple of years after that, we we just kind of decided, my husband and I, that we wanted a new scene. And his sister lives out in the Phoenix area. We had visited her several times, just decided 
since we can both kind of work wherever, because he's a contractor, a builder, we packed up and sold our house and moved out here um, to about two and a half years ago. Wow. So yeah. where, where in Nebraska, where were you? In okay. Nebraska? So very Southern Nebraska, right? Actually close to the Kansas border. Um, okay. Lincoln, Nebraska is the state capital. So we were another 65 to 70 miles southwest of there. My dad was born in Fremont. Oh, I know Fremont. Yep. So yep. I've been there. It's been a very long time since I've been there. But uh, as yeah. a kid, we went there. So yeah, it it was, I just remember that it was sweltering hot. We were there in the summertime. Yeah. And it was so, so hot when we were there. Interesting that that's where you came from, is mm-hmm. that... And Nebraska. I grew up, yeah, I grew, actually grew up like in South Dakota, Northwest Iowa. And then I went to college in Nebraska, um, Northern Nebraska at Wayne State, and then just kind of kept moving south and wound up in this little tiny small town in Southeastern Nebraska. And that's where I had my kids and that's where they graduated from high school. And now you're living in the sunshine yeah. in Arizona. And now it's cold for me now and it's like 50 degrees. And meanwhile, <laughs> back home, every. <laughs> Like I'm all bundled up. I got my boots on. So, yeah. It's it's been an interesting sort of weather experience here in Seattle. We're normally very temperate, but mm-hmm. we have had uh nights in the teens and we've had Whoa. snow happening for over a week off and on and supposed to have some more snow hit today and tomorrow. So, it's we're not used to that. I mean, I live at sea level. Yeah. <laughs> We we don't we don't get a lot of snow here, and right. because it's it's so hilly, and it's not snow like just about anywhere else. It's a very wet snow, mm-hmm. and so it freezes very easily underneath and just turns into treacherous ice. And I live on an island with which is a very small town. You know, basically what they're telling everybody now is don't go out don't drive unless you absolutely have to. The roads are treacherous. And Mm -hmm. if your car goes off the side of the road, don't leave it. Dial 911. It's been the snowmageddon of 2019. Right. I remember those days. I remember uh, we lived out in the country um, after my mom married her second husband. We lived out in the country and it snowed a lot in Northwest Iowa. And I remember him having to plow our driveway And we were kind of like down in this little valley and he would have to plow the driveway. And then there was a gravel road, obviously right in front of our driveway to get to the highway. And when the snow plow would go by, it would fill up everything that he had just done right at the end there. And it would be like, I'm not even joking you, like 20 feet tall. It was like a tunnel. And then we would drive the bus through this tunnel of snow to get to school. And I look, I look outside now and it's blue skies and, you know, like I said, 50 degrees and here I am shivering cold (laughs) and I'm turned into such a wussy, I guess. I don't know what what the word is, but it just came to my mind. You might have to bleep that out. Like, come on. Well, you know what it, it's so interesting is that we don't have the snow plows or the sanding trucks or any of that because we don't get snow that often here. Yes, yeah, so you're and not prepared for that. No. Yeah. And there's a lot of rural areas in Kitsap County where I live and people who live up in the woods and up in the trees and all of that. And so some of those people can't get down and then we lose power 
regularly as well because we get mm. a lot of wind that comes through. Yeah. So it's, it's you know, this is, it, it, every once in a while we'll get like a super storm and it'll blow through and kind of shut everything down for maybe a week and then it'll go away. But I mean, there's snow off and on in the forecast for the next two weeks, which oh is really unusual. I want my temperate weather back, please. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> I've, been, I've been out to Seattle a couple of times and it's really beautiful. I, I love to visit the Pacific Northwest and we're actually thinking we might take a road trip out there for our next vacation. Oh, so. it's, it truly is beautiful. I mean, there's whole parts of the state that I haven't really seen. I, I grew up in Oregon, so I'm a native Northwesterner. It's, it's one of those places where you have, I mean, I live nestled between two mountain ranges. So mm -hmm. I've got the Cascades on one side and the Olympics on the other. We have the world's largest ferry system. And the run that runs between Seattle and Bainbridge Island is the most heavily trafficked run in the whole system. It's an interesting way to live. There's a lot of people that have come from California and other areas to try and live here and they either make it or they don't. A lot of them, <laughs> yeah. a lot of people living on Bainbridge, you know, they come because it's so beautiful here and it's it a is. small town and it's really gorgeous, but you have to live your life around the ferry if you're going to be mm -hmm. in Seattle often. And for some people, that's a problem. For me, I've off and on had to commute into the city every day and someone else drives. There's no traffic. You can sleep, you can eat, you can go to the bathroom, you can talk to your friends, or you can sit there with your headphones on and, you know, ignore everybody and read. Right. So for me, it's the ultimate. Then you get off the ferry and you walk to wherever it is that you need to go to work and then you come back. But it is a long yeah. day. I mean, it can yeah. 12 hours. Oh my goodness. Home. So do you guys think that you'll stay there in uh, um, Arizona? We don't know yet. It's too early to say. It gets awful hot in the summer, you know. It's, yeah. And he, my husband works outside and he's, he's okay with it now, but I don't know that he's going to be okay with it in 10 years, you know? Yeah. So he, he, That's he leaves really early and tries to get his work day done by like two or three o'clock if possible. But there are days where that just doesn't happen. So do you do anything else besides teach yoga? I do right now. It's kind of a friend of a friend of a friend type thing. I, I knew a guy who had this little web store that he was selling. Well, they were selling all sorts of supplies on for handicapped and disabled um, people. And so they kind of sold all these little pieces and parts off of this store. And he asked me if I would be interested in working like telecommuting for this company who has this web store that sells wheelchair ramp. Um, at the time I was planning a move out here and knew I would need to find another job because I was working in an office at that time. It just seemed like it, it might be a nice transition. And so I accepted that and I've been working for them uh, since 2015. And I do it on my computer or on my phone or whatever I have. I can work from home. I can work from Starbucks. It doesn't matter. I just need an internet connection. So it's a lot of customer service type work, um, answering chats, answering phone calls, processing orders, dealing with vendors. I recently just handed off the Google advertising campaign to somebody because I didn't know what the hell I was doing. And I was making <laughs> terrible decisions and costing them a lot of money. So I was like, I can't, somebody else has to do this. It's just not for me. Yeah, I'm still doing that. It's, it's a good balance right now. There are some days where it gets a little bit hectic where I will come off of teaching and I might have three or four phone calls and a handful of emails, but I can usually get through it pretty quickly and kind of knock it out if I just buckle down and pay attention and focus. The changing of the hats thing is, is challenging for me, but 
I was going to add, and how many classes a week are you teaching? I forget. I think I've got less than last time we talked. Um, I gave up like six classes at one particular studio and I've picked up a few since then. I have 12, I believe a week. That's a Um, lot. It's a lot. I mean, Mondays and Tuesdays are pretty heavy, but then uh, the end of the week, I I don't have nothing on Wednesday at all. I'm completely clear on Wednesday unless I sub for somebody. And then I just have one each on Saturday and Sunday. And I've thought about giving some of those up, but I absolutely love everywhere that I'm teaching right now. And I just, I, I can't it's imagine. Hard, that. Isn't it? It I is. Yeah. I mean, at one point in time, I was working full time. My daughter was still in high school and I was teaching 10 yoga classes a week. And- I heard that on one of your other podcasts and my jaw dropped. <laughs> I was like, what? You're thinking I have a heavy schedule? <laughs> Well, I was younger then. I'm going to just qualify it with that. But I I loved everywhere that I was teaching. I was teaching in a dance studio to dancers and I was a ballerina for so many years that I really enjoyed Aww. that whole group of girls. Yeah. All of the places where I was teaching, it became about the people more than anything 100%. and the groups that showed up. And I started teaching in a health club in Hosbo. I started with one class and it just exploded from there into five classes a week within about, I don't know, four months, I think. Mm-hmm. One of those things that just sort of snowballed. And then I came out of my yoga fit training going, I, I this is not enough. I need more. For sure. And and Same. signed up for a yoga teacher training at a studio here that was here on Bainbridge with someone who has been my yoga mentor ever since. And it was incredible. It ended up being much more than I anticipated. I probably got over, I don't know, over 500 hours of practical teaching and subbing for her for her classes and working at that studio. It just became such a great experience for me to do. But what's hard is you get connected to those people that come to your classes. And when you need to make a change, it makes it really hard because you know, you're going to miss those. Yeah, I the last time I gave up a class, I broke down and bawled right in front of everybody. And I couldn't help it. I was just like, I, this is so hard for me. I'm almost crying right now. I mean, it's just, you do develop a bond and they count on you. And it's, it's interesting to see them progress. And so, yeah, it's, it's super tough to, to make those changes. It, it is re- very tough to make those changes. So let me ask you this. Who has been the biggest inspiration in your life or what? Either one, who or what? Uh, I would probably have to say my mother. She's a real badass um, <laughs> in, in that she raised three girls by herself with basically no help financially or any other help. So my sisters and I, they're they're a little bit older than me, six and seven years. We did a lot on our own, but my mom scraped and scrapped and worked her fingers to the bone to keep us, you know, keep keep us fed and clothed and make sure we had what we needed, uh, which wasn't, you know, we didn't have much, but we made it. And when she got remarried, she took over a lot of huge responsibilities on the acreage that uh, she and her new husband lived on. And 
you know, just kind of ran the show there. She's, she's just hardcore. She's very fiercely protective of family. So sometimes she can get, I remember shopping with her as a kid and I would be so embarrassed because she would just not put up with anything. Like if, if there was something wrong, she would tell people, I would be so embarrassed. I'd be like, mom, it's not that big of a deal. Just, you know, let it go. She would stick up for me with teachers and always had my back uh, to the point where it was like, maybe I was in the wrong and she was still like trying to have my back, you know, it's, it's a little tricky, but no, she's, I I would have to say her. That's the first person that comes to my mind. Although there are plenty of others teachers that I've had, I would say one of my college uh, teachers was probably one of my main mentors. And, you know, I, I, I'm still meeting those people and they're constantly kind of helping me figure out where I'm headed. And so I know that there's going to be a lot more of those. (laughs) Well, there's there's always people who come in to inspire you. As I look at social media, and, and you and I have the benefit of being older than the demographic that they're trying to really hit with that whole thing. So I think that with the benefit of age, we can kind of keep things in a little bit more perspective. But I have found that Instagram has been more a space for inspiration than for me to feel like I don't measure up or whatever it is that there are people out there feeling. And it's been so interesting to watch it morph and change, especially as it's changed so much over the last three years, Uh I would say, with all of this influencer thing happening and all of that. Yeah, it's totally different for me. Totally different experience. Yeah, very, very different experience. And so I I have to work a little harder to find the inspiration these days, but it's still there. So I, you know, I look at things like that and I see throughout everyone's life that we are on these multiple paths to get to wherever it is that we are in that particular moment in time. And that there are all sorts of people and things that inspire us along the way. Uh And I'm just always sort of curious about why certain things stick out for me or why they stick out for someone else that it's like right off the top of your head, you're just like, Oh yeah, that was a something Uh that totally inspired me or really impacted my life at that particular point in time. So that's why I like to ask that question because it's one of those things of, I want to hear what, what, what's right off the top of your head, who is it or what is it that that's, you know, right there that you access often. So then let's segue into this. What is one of your favorite childhood memories? Sure. I'm going to get to that, but I'm going to say one more thing about the previous subject. Just that if I had to think of another word, aside from my mom, you said person or thing, I would say survivors, uh, survivors of anything. I don't care what it is. Just survivors in general, people who just keep going and just keep trying. And even if they fail over and over again, so that, that would be my other source of inspiration. That's great. Yeah. Um, favorite childhood memories. I would have to say, oh my gosh, I have so many. I was a tomboy. So I would have to say hanging out at my cousin's farm, riding three wheelers or with my best friend, Beth, riding three wheelers out in the fields, just getting dirty, getting in trouble, almost dying. (laughs) Uh, I don't know how many times we flipped that three-wheeler. Her dad just kept letting us use it. I mean, it's just like, we're going to do it again. I don't know why you keep letting us use it. Uh, probably that, just being outside, um, yeah. making forts, you know, playing with the animals, just being outside. I I, I see some kids now. I, I, I hate to be, you know, 
like call anybody out, but I was at a club the other day and I was just having some coffee and working on my computer. And there was a family and the two kids were sitting at each kid had their own table. It's a little tiny bistro tables. And then the parents were at a separate table and both kids had some kind of an iPad with earplugs yeah. and they were like four or five. Oh God. And I was like, yeah. I, I mean, it could have been something perfectly wonderful of them watching, but that's just, things have changed so much. I mean, we were never in the house ever. I mean, I, I used to watch a couple of shows on TV occasionally, but we were outside all the time until it got dark, like yeah, every single day, riding bikes, going to the park, playing kickball, playing softball, playing Frisbee, whatever. I mean, we were just not in the house unless the weather was bad. And even then there, we, yeah. we used to ice skate. I mean, we'd freeze our, our tushes off and sledding and we were still outside. Like, go outside. Don't come in for three hours. Get out of here. Well, you know, one of the most iconic childhood memories for me is my mother walking out the front door and yelling, John, Sherry, Jason, it's time to eat. And okay. we'd been gone all day. Yeah. And you had no concept of time either. Yelled out into the neighborhood. Yeah. Oh, and yeah, totally. Being, you know, at the neighbors, maybe inside or out in the backyard or over in the filbert you know, trees or mm -hmm. who knew where we were. Yep. But, you know, and you could hear my mother's voice all over the neighborhood. Right. And there was there was probably about three other families on the street that we all kind of hung out together, all of the kids. So it was just this whole sort of experience that I don't know that many kids have anymore. That they reminds me. Yes. I, that reminds me of another family that we were friends with that lived in the city, right? So I was a farm girl, go to the city and they had the same thing. They had neighborhood kids. We'd go out and shoot basketball in their driveway and we would, you know, flirt around with the boys and they would chase us around and we'd ride our bikes to just up to like the busiest street and then turn around and come back and just ride up and down the street. Right. Uh, and I, I think you're right. I, I don't think we have, I think we're less likely to experience friendships and just connection in person anymore. And I'm not saying that's all bad because we have a whole world opened up to us, but I think we are really missing out on some of that. Well, I just feel sort of that what's going on is we have so many ways to connect now that are different, mm -hmm. but right. there are still so many people that are lonely and feel a lack of connection or a yes. lack of community. Yes. And I uh, just, I wonder, I mean, technology, I've worked in technology for years. I've always been a tech geek and, and loved all of the things about technology that I could master. And it's made some huge, huge changes and impacts into our lives over the years. And we are, progressing at a rate that is faster than ever. Right. I think sometimes we need to temper that with what some people might refer to as nostalgia, but what I see is really needing to hold on to that sense of community, that sense of family, whether it be by birth or by choice. Mm -hmm. But in order to feel connected, to feel plugged in, to be able to feel seen and heard, mm -hmm. we we need to maintain those face-to-face -face connections yes. that I don't know that necessarily everybody has in their lives anymore. Yeah. And I see, I mean, I observe this and I'm sure you have too with young women, especially, I don't know what it is, but I'll see a group of young women either at the mall or out and about somewhere and they're all on their phones and they're showing yep. each other their phones and that's fine, whatever. But 
they're not interacting with each other. They're not no. exploring their personalities. They're not, uh, yeah, it's just very superficial, I guess is the word it I'm is. looking for. Well, and, and my granddaughter is two and oh. though she's, she's, she's been, a, <laughs> thank you. she knows her way around a phone. Yeah. She, lo she loves to do snappy chat when we get together. Oh, it's so always fun. more and more snappy chat, snappy chat. Cute. But, and she loves to watch herself. Like I make videos when we go to the zoo or make videos of her playing at the park or whatever. And she likes to go back yeah. and watch those things. That's cool. That's great. Love but that. I, I try not to let it be the only thing that she does. Right. And, and I admit that when we're in the car, I have a little special thing that goes on the back of the headrest in front of her so we can have an Good iPad so, mm -hmm. so she can watch, you know, Frozen or yeah. Foo Panda or whatever it is if we're going longer than, you know, say 10 or 15 minutes in the car. For sure. Yeah, but I try too. to really hard to not keep her plugged into a screen all the time and, you know, do things. We have Play-Doh and I bought her a set of paints. We haven't broken Perfect. out yet, but, yeah. you know, and her folks, her, the, my kids got her a trampoline so she can jump in the house. And <laughs> my son-in-law loves soccer. So he bought a couple of soccer end screen things that are in the house right now. But That's so awesome. she, you know, she gets, she's, she's fairly active. She's a busy little girl, but the doctor has even said, you know, please, I know you guys are, you're really busy, but please make sure you're careful with the screen time. Mm -hmm. And she's, she's really, really intelligent. This kid is just, I mean, it, it surprises me each time I see her, how much forward progress she's made in that short amount of time. Yeah. So I, I look at stuff like that and I think we just need to find sort of that balance or that fluidity between the face-to-face -face and the technology. I agree. And, and that segues into what does balance look like in your life? Oh, <laughs> well, sometimes rare and fleeting, but I would say being prepared and somewhat organized while still allowing myself the freedom for spontaneity and being impulsive. And I'm kind of a worker bee, you know, I like to buckle down and do things and get them done so that I can go do something else that I enjoy, whether that's binge watching a Netflix show or, <laughs> you know, sitting outside with my dogs. But yeah, I would say just trying to not be too obsessed with lists and checking things off and just like, yeah, this is kind of my general plan today, but I'm not going to hold myself to it. And if something more interesting comes along, then maybe my plans will change. I guess that for me, that defines balance is being prepared, but being able to go with the flow. I like that. Yeah. I like that. You know, most people I ask that question to, and they start talking about it. And then a lot of them are like, uh, I guess I really don't have a lot of balance right? in my life. <laughs> yeah, <it laughs> there, are, there are times where I feel that way, for sure. I, I think it's just one of, it's very, life is very fluid and mm -hmm. you can't, I, I and maybe it's the Gemini in me who I can't stand doing the same thing the same way every day. That, that to me is like a slow death, right? slow, painful death. Mm -hmm. So it's that whole concept of being able to have maybe some shape or form, which is what I try to do with the podcast is give a little shape or form, but to be able to have spontaneous conversations, spontaneous things that happen in life that allow my the creativity to be sparked and and yeah. things to happen like you said if something else better comes along then that's what i'm gonna go and do right 
and to have a healthy attitude about getting whatever it is that you need to get done. But if it doesn't get done, it's not the end of the world. You can still do something else or it'll still be there tomorrow. For sure. The world will not stop spinning. I agree. I agree. Yeah, because then you just kind of create anxiety around all the the shit that you didn't do. Yes. (laughs) Most of it is just that. It's just shit. Like, let's be honest. Some of the stuff, some of the standards we hold ourselves to are ridiculous and unnecessary. So, well, then I'm going to ask you this question. What is something that you wish more women understood in their lives? That they don't have to always put somebody else first that it's okay to be a little selfish. Let me think, I I guess I would go with that. You know, I think it's our nature to be caregivers. And I love that side of my personality. But there are times when I have to come first, or everybody else is going to get less of me, they're not going to get my full attention, or my my best side if I don't take care of me first. So And it's okay to say no. A lot of women just immediately yes to whatever. And for opportunities and things like that, that's that's a good thing. But you don't have to say yes, just because someone's staring you in the eye and asking you to do something that you really don't want to do. Just be like, you know what, let me think about it. Let me get back to you. I'll get back to you. I'll get back to you on that. Um, And then just lose their number. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) No, I would say yeah, you don't have to always say yes, you can say no and take care of yourself sometimes be a little selfish. There you go. If you could have a giant billboard with any phrase, what would it be and why? Uh, You got this. You got this. You can handle it, whatever it is. You have the tools. You have the wisdom. You have the experience. And if you don't, then you'll figure it out. I think that empowers us to have a little more faith in ourselves and not just put all the power into somebody else's hands. And I mean, somebody like an esoteric being like somebody that's guiding us or leading us, like have a little faith in yourself, the the thing that's right here in front of you. (laughs) And belief and trust in your ability. Yes. Yes. we, We don't always get that message that we are capable or strong or, or if we're too much of that, sometimes a message we get is that we are too much of that, yeah. which I I don't agree with, but would so agree with that is that just believing in yourself, believing mm-hmm. in your ability is so incredibly important. So that's a great billboard. I like that. Yeah. Thank you. And I know when we were talking about doing this interview that you brought up something that you really wanted to discuss, and that yeah. was about uh, being a non-drinker. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to let yeah. you... Okay. So first I should say I was a drinker for a very long time. <laughs> so I have no judgments about people who drink at all. Like I'm the last person that could could judge anybody. I have plenty of uh, stories related to alcohol that I'm not particularly proud of. I never realized how infused our culture is with this drug until I stopped doing the drug. And it's in my face constantly. And I'm, I'm kind of getting away from the reaction of being super annoyed and like rolling my eyes and, oh, there's another message that I really don't need right now. But uh, yeah, I think it's a lot. I think it's a lot to see alcohol in everything. Uh, Go to Target and it's on a t-shirt, wine down Wednesday at yoga or beer and yoga and things that are supposed to be associated with wellness that are now crossed over to include consuming a drug with the tagline or any other non-alcoholic beverage, like in small print below it. I'm just, the messaging is 
is not helpful for anybody, not just people who have a drinking problem, but it's not helpful for anybody who doesn't have a drinking problem. It's for me, I, I'd see it an unnecessary part of all, our culture. And it's, um, yeah, it's, it's a little bit much. And I, and I can be in a bar. I can be in a bar with somebody. I'll have dinner with whoever, meet a group of friends and they can drink. I don't have an issue. It's not like I'm really craving alcohol when I'm doing that. That, that part of my recovery is over. I don't, I don't crave alcohol. But if you put a chocolate cake in front of me, I'm going to eat the whole thing. But that's another story. <laughs> um, but so it's not that I, I don't, I'm going to, it's triggering me to, to want to drink alcohol. It's just that I don't like how alcohol has somehow been made cute and mommy juice and wine first, whatever later. Like I just, I think it's, it's getting out of control. And, and there are a lot of women who are drinking wine every day and that was my drug of choice because they think it's socially acceptable and it's it's okay because everybody does it. But when a glass of wine a day, which is how I started, turns into at least a bottle of wine a day, which it will eventually if if you don't have the switch, you know, if you're even if you're addicted to sugar, wine is full of sugar. I yeah. think honestly that was a lot of my problem is I was so addicted to the sugar because I still am. That's a huge issue for me. It's it a huge fun. issue for a lot of people. Yeah. I you know. I have I have bouts with candida off and on and it it can be terrible terrible thing to try and quell. Yeah, it's maddening. I know I have a huge I st I mean I still consider myself addicted, an addict and I probably always will even though I don't call myself like an alcoholic. I don't go to meetings. I don't identify really like as a label as such, but I do consider myself an addict because it's always something like I'm pretty addicted to coffee to the point where I'll drink decaf just because I want the taste of coffee. I'm definitely addicted to sugar. I can be addicted to um, a TV show. I mean, we talked, we joked about the <laughs> Netflix binging, but that's a real thing. Like I got to get through this next episode. Like I got to yeah. see what happens. I mean, I just have yeah. that personality and that's just me. So to have that thrown in my face constantly, or, you know, even just talking with someone or I'll buy you a drink or, you know, you, you go to the restaurant and the first thing they want to do is show you the drink menu. Like they don't even ask you yeah. what you want to drink. It's like, these are our drink specials. And, and occasionally I'll say, well, what do you have that's not non-alcoholic? And they look at me like I'm from Mars. Like, do you have any mocktails? They're like, what? Um, I don't even know what that is. But yeah, I just think, it, I think it's becoming an epidemic in a way that is not helpful for anybody. Well, it's an interesting perspective that you have. I have never been much of a drinker. Uh, I just, it never really appealed to me. I mean, not that I haven't had that sort of thing go on in my past. I have. I've only had so, too much to drink and got sick one time and oh it was gosh. way too much <laughs> champagne. And I'm a person who does not like to throw up. So um, uh, yeah. I will do anything to keep from throwing up. up. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it happened one time and that was enough for me. And it's like this thing of, it depends on my mood. It depends on who I'm with. I'll have, you know, I can imbibe every once in a while, but honestly, I really don't need it. I don't like the way it makes me feel right. anymore. The older I get, the more it hits me and mm -hmm. the worse I feel. And I've been through too much with health issues that I just, I don't, Yeah, I, get I don't want to, I don't want to do that. I don't want to put my liver and through all of that either. So I look at stuff like that and I don't drink coffee and everybody is, you know, like you live in Seattle. And it's like, yeah. I, you know, I don't drink coffee. I did a small episode mm -hmm. with, um, oh, 
I don't know what it was. It, it was caffeine though. It was like rocket fuel. And basically it makes me feel like I'm on speed. So right. you'd be peeling me off the ceiling. So I don't drink, I don't do any of that. And I, there's been some times when I've had pressure from people that I've been out with that I need to, to drink more or you need to drink or mm -hmm. because they all are. And I'm not judging anybody. I just don't feel the need to do it. Right. Exactly. And that that's, that's perfect. And I, I wish I, I hate to wish myself and should, but I didn't come to that realization that I didn't want to feel that way or that I didn't have an issue for a long time. <laughs> lots of hangovers, lots of getting sick, lots of making really awful decisions and nothing like earth shattering, but just stupid stuff like putting my life in danger and not yeah. being there for my kids as much as I could have been. So, well, and even in high school, you know, when all the parties started happening, I, if I did drink, I would have one drink when I first got there because I was the designated driver because mm. I wanted to get home in one piece. one piece. Right. And I knew that if I was driving, that we would all be okay. So I was the original safety girl. Yeah. I, I remember... Just I remember being a drunk driver one time um, with a guy that I didn't know very well. He was a, a group of friends and he, I was the, the designated driver and we were at a bar um, in Lincoln, Nebraska, which was like, again, an hour, over an hour away from us. And he's like, well, you can have one. And at the time, honestly, Sherry, I couldn't have one. Like if, if I was drinking, I was drinking. And so yeah. when he said that to me, and that was years before I even quit drinking, I about had a panic attack because I was like, really, no, I can't. I can't just have one. If I'm going to yeah. crack one open, I'm going to drink all of them. <laughs> so I said, no, <laughs> I'll just drink. I'll just drink a Coke. And he brought me at one point a Jack and Coke, which, oh, I, which I hated. I didn't drink that anyway. At the time I was just drinking right. beer. And I was just like, you know, <laughs> trying to do the right thing here, man. You're making it really hard. <laughs> but well, yeah. and that, that's the thing is like you said, you know, the societal pressure or, and I'm going to, I'm going to, bring up a bitch that I have about yoga. Mm -hmm. Why do we have to do wine and beer and yoga or yoga with goats preach, or sister, yoga preach. on a sup <laughs> paddle board or, you know, can't we just do yoga? Yeah. Or can we call it something else? If it's going to, if you're going to involve those other things, do, can we call it like uh, calisthenics and beer or whatever? <laughs> I don't know. That might be kind of weird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I get what you're saying. And I, I agree. I, the gimmick yoga thing is one of the reasons why I quit teaching at a certain place because it was too gimmicky for me. And I thought, you know, my yoga is good enough that I don't need to sell it with gimmicks. And I don't want to associate myself with the pushing of and I'm calling it drugs, because to me, it is when people say, well, alcohol is not a drug. Well, yeah, it is. I'm not gonna it's just it's just a legalized drug. It is, you know, legalized. I mean, yep. it's al it's ethanol, it's alcohol. I mean, it's not it's not native to your ecosystem. No, it's not. Like you, I, I have no problem. And I enjoy an, sometimes a nice glass of bubbly or whatever it is, but I don't, I don't feel that I need to do that in order to be social or right. in order to enjoy myself and have a good time. Uh -huh. I spent an early marriage with somebody who had to come home every day after work and have a beer and a bong hit. And yeah you know, there, there's just a lot of that kind of stuff that I, it, that scares me, mm -hmm. you know, that the, when somebody can't 
come home and make that self-regulation themselves. It, it just, it's, there's something bigger going on there. Yep. And so I, I think about things like that. And I think it, it took me a long time to, to hit the self-realization uh, train. So I understand all of that, but I, I guess that for me, that inner dialogue is always running about, is this the best thing for me to do? Am I really doing the right thing? Mm -hmm. Because I've, I've made a lot of questionable choices in my life for a lot of different reasons. Mm -hmm. And so I just, I, I want to try and do better. I want to try and be better. Right. And right. so I, I look at that and I just, I think that sometimes it gets away from people and they don't even realize it. Yeah, I agree. And that's kind of where I was at is it stopped being fun. It stopped being social and it started being really sad. And when I realized that it was sad and not fun and I was hiding how much I was drinking and I did that for a while. I mean, I kind of tried to quit on and off for five years and it just took a while before it stuck because I wasn't I was so afraid that I was going to miss out on something. I was so afraid that it wasn't even like I was afraid people weren't going to accept me. I wasn't so worried about that, but I, I had this fear of missing out on something. Like I can't go, mm. to, you know, I can't do this stuff because this is, this is what we do with these things. And now it's just not true. Mm. Like I can go to the Christmas party and drink club soda and a lime and still feel just as goofy and silly as I would have if I'd been drinking. I mean, if anything, I'm a lot more present and aware and yes. um, it's just more fun for me now than it and I don't have to wait I can get up at 6 a.m the next day and feel great and work out or go hiking or and before I would lay in bed there were times I'd have a two-day hangover over one yeah. weekend and I would go to work on Monday and still feel like shit like it's so yeah. not worth it so did you go through an, a detox program nope. or you just you gutted it out and did I it yourself stopped. I stopped I should also say that there was a trigger for me to stop um, re involving another family member. And it just scared the shit out of me. And I was like, I can't do this anymore. I cannot for myself, for my family. My husband had been sober for three years prior to me quitting. So that was never going to be an issue. Like there was never any pressure for me to quit or to not quit from him. It was like, whatever, you know, works for you. Right. But I, um, I'm sorry, I forgot what you asked me when I started saying, Oh, uh, did I go through treatment? No, yeah, I stopped cold turkey. And um, I, that's kind of why I'm, I'm almost wondering if more of my addiction wasn't just the habit of having a drink and the sugar because I didn't have any real physical cravings other than I just knew that's what I wanted. But I didn't have the shakes. I didn't have the DTs. I wasn't drinking much during the day. Like I was like, my dad was a really bad alcoholic, my real dad. And he drank all the time. Like he was never sober. As soon as he would start to shake or get, you know, feel sick, he would start to drink again. And I never had that level of craving or addiction with my alcohol. But once I did start, I would literally drink until I could barely keep my eyes open for wow. a, a long time. Like I would start, yeah. if I started at eight o'clock, then I would be done by whenever I needed to go to bed. And sometimes I would start at five and I'd be like, oh my God, I, don't, I can't even make it to bedtime. Like I'm so tired. And no, I quit and I, and I started having really strange sleeping patterns and dreams and things. So that could be where some of the the side effects were, but my brain just was functioning differently. Like I would have these really crazy dreams. One day I would want to sleep all day. I would be so exhausted. And then the next day it would be like midnight and I wouldn't be able to go to sleep. It was just very erratic. Like my brain was trying to figure out what the hell is going on here. Why don't I have this drug? 
to manage things. And so when I would be on an emotional roller coaster, you know, I might get super tired and want to sleep and just be a little bit depressed or, or whatever. And I, I was a little like nauseated for a while physically too. And I don't know if it was just the whole issue that triggered me into not drinking. There was a lot of stress at that time. There was a lot going on. I just didn't have time for it anymore. I was like, this is too many times I've said I was never going to drink again. I've got to make it stick. And I'm really not one of those people that says one day at a time, even though sometimes I'll, you know, I'll kind of remind myself of that. But I feel like this is a decision I can fully say I'm not going to drink again. And all of the people that go to AA right now are just cringing because that's, that's not the mindset. But for somebody like me, once I make a decision, that's what I'm doing. Like, you're not going to talk me out of it. You're not going to tempt me out of it. I'm just not going to do it. I, it's not fun anymore. Why would I do something that's not fun? Well, it sounds like you just sort of outgrew that whole thing. I did. I did it for a long time and I had a great time doing some of it. And then it was just time to change. And I, I remember the one word that kept coming into my head, enough, enough, enough. I've had enough. It's just, and when you've had enough of something, then you're just done with it. You, you lose your taste for it. Well, it sounds like you were present enough to be able to pay attention to that. Yeah. After I trial think, and error. <laughs> yeah. Well, but I mean, I, I think too, that sometimes we have to, we have to get those messages sometimes multiple times before we actually hear them and, yeah. and process them and pay attention to them. But, yeah. uh, for sure then that's going to lead me to where do you feel most present? I feel most present out outside, maybe hiking, like even on maybe a trail that's a little dicey, something that where I'm in just a little bit of danger. <laughs> you know, I could lose my footing and hurt myself or whatever. Uh, that I feel really awake and connected and present when there's, there's an odd chance that I might be just in a little attention. bit of trouble. Yeah. yeah. So you got to pay attention. Yep. For sure. What mistake would you make again? Well, I probably have to say all of them because if, <laughs> if I would repeat them, then I would not classify them as a mistake. I don't know the answer to that. I would have to say all of them. Otherwise they wouldn't truly be, I, I mean, that's how, that's how we learn. Like if we don't, I tell them, I tell my kids this all the time, whenever they come to me and they're, you know, I'm such a loser. I did this and I'm so dumb, blah, whatever. When they were, you know, younger and making poorer decisions. Well, how are you supposed to learn not to do that if you don't right. do it once. You you learn because you make errors, you make bad decisions, and then that will always be in your consciousness now. Hopefully, then you won't do it again. Otherwise, yeah, I, I just think you have to forgive yourself and not fret about it and move on. It's okay. a learning experience. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it is. It is definitely that. Who do you go to with tough questions? Probably my best girlfriend of what, 42 years, 43 years, I met her in kindergarten, befriended her immediately, we were could not be separated, we were just the best of friends for forever. I mean, I still use Marco Polo, I visit with her almost every day. Um, if one of us doesn't get back to the other one within a couple of days, we're like texting each other, are you okay? What's going on? I haven't heard from you in a couple of days. So Probably her. And then, of course, my husband, because he'll tell me what I need to hear, not what I want to hear. So for and, sure, those two people. I'm assuming he delivers it in a way that you can actually hear and hear it and accept it. Yeah. I mean, he's he's not uh, he, he's pretty blunt about things. And, 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 and if I get really riled up about it, he's like, well, you asked me for what you wanted the truth. So that's the truth. If you want me to lie yeah. to you, then you got to preface that by saying. 
I just want you to tell me what I want to hear. Right. Like, I mean, yeah, it's, it's not always, you know, super gentle, but I'm not always super gentle. I'm a pretty blunt in your face person too. And I'm not going to sugarcoat things for him either. So I guess we have that understanding. So those two for sure. And then of course, my mother and my sisters are always just a phone call away. What does approaching a breakthrough feel like? Um, Probably a mixture of relief and fear at failing or fear of overcoming and fear of actually reaching that breakthrough. I don't know, because I don't know if I've ever <laughs> had a really big breakthrough. I guess I have with the drinking thing. Yeah, I would say, yeah, yeah, I was I would gonna say, say that's a pretty big say, breakthrough. I would say relief, because then I'm off the hook with that. But also like, oh my God, can I really do this? Is this going to happen right now? How am I going to do it? Is it going to work out all right? Or I'm going to fall flat on my face? Yeah. Those two things. Okay, so so still questioning as you're getting as mm-hmm. you're hitting that sort of that threshold of the oh, breakthrough. For sure. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, I want to thank you so much for your time today, Sarah. I really appreciate you accepting my invitation, and I was just so interested when you brought up the whole subject of wanting to talk about alcohol. Mm -hmm. And I just think that that is a topic that we don't necessarily always talk about. Yeah. I appreciate so much your input into how you process through the situation because it truly, everybody is different, right? So you're not saying that everyone needs to do it the way that you did, but this is what worked for you. And this is how you moved through that transition. Mm -hmm. And I think that's important to remember is, is that not everybody operates the same way. Not everybody processes things the same way and not everybody lives their lives the same way. So you can't really expect everybody to do things the so-called, this is the the right path or this is the right way to do it. And I, that always, that always gives me, well, that's just the, the, the me is that, I don't like anybody to tell me what to do. Right. I I am really stubborn and bullheaded that way. And so when to have somebody try to tell me that this is the only path that there is to get to whatever the desired goal is for me, mm-hmm. that feels very limiting. Yeah. And it's, I, I, I liken it a lot too, and I can compare it to yoga too. You know, there's no one size fits all for anybody with yoga. Like what's your yoga? What's my yoga? Yes. We know what yoga is as a system, the eight limbs, but how people experience and digest it may not be our way. And we have to be willing to accept that and still respect them um, for whatever it is to them. Like maybe beer and yoga is the thing for them. Fine. Just don't ask me to go because I probably won't. (laughs) No, I, yeah. uh, I remember being a, I was a member and I'm probably still am. I just don't look at it anymore of a group online, a sober group. And I don't know how many times it was said that you'll always, you're going to relapse one time. You're going to relapse for sure. Like it's a given, like everybody relapses. And I remember thinking, go fuck Why do you want to tell yourself that story? Like, yeah. I mean, if, if you believe that, then definitely you will. But that, why would I put that in my head? I don't, I don't. And, and, and then there's a lot of people that say you absolutely cannot stay uh, sober without the 12 steps because um, you know, it's always one day at a time and you're always in recovery. And I totally agree with the fact that I'm always in recovery, but I don't need some sort of system to tell me that. Like, I know what I need. I know what my 
weaknesses are. I know what my challenges are. I know what I need in my life. And going to a meeting with a bunch of people that I don't know who are smoking a 12, a 12 pack of cigarettes instead of, uh, you know, drinking, drinking beer is not fun for me. I don't want, I don't have that kind of time. I don't have that kind of bandwidth in, in my brain for that. And so no, that would never work for me. In fact, that would probably just make me not like those people. Like I want to surround myself with people that make me not want to drink. Yeah. So, and that's like you said, you're going to get people who are involved in that 12 step program setup. that are going to say, Oh, you, you know, you can't mm-hmm. do that. But I think that what comes through with all of this for me about you is that you know exactly who you are. Mm-hmm. You know exactly what's going on. You know the things that trigger you, you, you and you're honest with yourself about that, right? right? So that level of honesty is what keeps you in, on the path that you're on. And not everybody can can deal with that level of honesty with themselves. Well, and it goes back to that quote, like you got this, you know, I I think I need to be responsible for my own behavior. I don't think I should put that on somebody else who doesn't, who I can't see and meet and touch, like letting God or your, your, the God of your understanding, you know, put it all in their hands. I'm like, no, be a grown up and make decisions for yourself that benefit you. It's not someone else's job to babysit you. It's not, they don't have that much power over you. Don't let anybody have that much power over you. You can have faith, but I think for me, if you don't believe in yourself, the other stuff is worthless as well. It's, it's just a crutch at that point. It's like, I'm all about having a faithful attitude and believing in something. But if you're not believing in yourself, then the other stuff is pretty empty. Mm, great perspective. Great, great perspective. I love that. I thank you again for joining me today. Yes, and of course. For I look me. forward <laughs> to seeing your lovely pink hairdo again yeah. and again. <laughs> yeah, I'm not very good at posting on Instagram anymore. I got to get back on the on the uh, job with that. It's just, it's not a priority anymore. And I guess that's okay right now. You know, I do a lot more with stories than anything yeah, else. Yeah. I, I use it to promote my my podcast and the lovely guests that I have on, but sure. I, I don't post as much to do. I mean, I used to do those yoga challenges oh, like crazy. And yeah. I don't have time for that anymore. Oh my gosh. That's a whole nother podcast, Terry. I could tell you some stories about the shit that I did to myself trying to get a, a picture for Instagram. I mean, <laughs> what was I thinking? I, <laughs> I know. I, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yep. And right. I do it some I do it a lot of times on the beach where sometimes there are people walking by who are watching me do it and I'm yeah, just like, like, Oh my god, I can't believe that somebody me. saw me fucking do that. <laughs> I know. God, what was I thinking? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so funny. I know. All right. Well, thanks again, right. Sarah. And Thank I'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks, Sherry. Bye bye.